Hey, guys, go ahead. Do me a favor. There's only one space that I need you to be, and that is Matthew 6. And I don't care how old you are. This is really one verse. I want little Lila Bug at four years old. I want her to have some form of the Bible open. Even though she can't read, I want her to see what daddy's reading, okay? So I don't care who you are. Have your Bibles open, please. That is Matthew 6. Matthew 6. This is a, this is a hard message. <clears throat> if you're still dragging from Thanksgiving and your attention span is not what it needs to be yet, this will wake you up, okay? I want your hearts and your mind open. As these are hard words, words that we need to hear at times, multiple times a year. But I want you to see in Matthew 6, if you're a note taker, the question of the day is simply this. What or who is first in your life? Very simple. What, who is first in your life? And, and in that, however you answer in the different different ways, you go, man, what is first in my marriage? And what is first in my money? And what is first in my career? And what is my first in parenting? And just what is my first in general how does my life reflect it? Think about that for a second. So if Brad Douglas says, my, you know, God is my first. Well, amen, my brother, you're in church. That's the right answer. How does your life reflect that to be true? Or how does it contradict it? If someone were to say, it is fill in the blank in, in your life, does your life give evidence to that? Does it give fuel to that? Or does it contradict it? What are... Who is first in your life? Look at Matthew 6, 24. We are gonna read this like six times. There's not a lot of places for you to go. Get comfortable in this verse. You'll know it by heart. Jesus says, this is his sermon on the mount from God's own voice. This is the greatest sermon, the most um, influential sermon, well-known historic sermon in all of history. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Highlight it. Don't put your highlighter down. Just go ahead and highlight the whole thing. No one, no one can serve two masters. What about me? No no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. Just keep highlighting. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon would be the illustration that Jesus uses to be like wealth, riches. No one can serve two masters, what or who is first in your life. I didn't grow up playing soccer. I didn't know a ton about soccer until my kids really started playing. And I tell you, um, soccer has blessed my, my, my kids. They have loved every bit of it. I know a lot of you guys and your kids play soccer, and I've really enjoyed as a parent watching my kids and coaching my kids in a sport that I don't really understand. So sometimes as a, as a parent, and a, you know, someone watching, it, it's either, it's helpful that, to, to watch something I don't know if to, to be upset or to root for. 
Okay, so uh, there is no all-star or anything of that nature, so the parents aren't really upset yet because we don't know what we're watching. And so I'm coaching my son London's team this year, and like I said, I don't know a ton about soccer, but there's different positions if you do. So we have like different levels on the field. You have um, the strikers, which are the people who score, and then you have the midfielders, and they do a little bit of everything. They, they pass the ball around. They play some defense. They play some offense. And then you have another layer. There are defenders, and they're doing what you would expect. They're defending the goal. And then you have the goalie, the last defense. And so I have a team, and I have a, a little guy who can score a lot, but there's some spaces on my team that are weak at times that I got to stay on, Right? And I'm not a parent who's a big yeller because I think by the time they get their cleats on and they get on the field, me yelling from the sideline is probably not helping them much. But there are a few things I yell every single game. There will be a time where I would look at that team and with my hands, I don't know why I did this, but I stuck true to it. I would look at them and I'd go, guys, Tighten up every game, every game. My son literally came to me, goes, hey, like, what does this mean? I go, I don't know, just, just tighten up. <laughs> He's like, okay. Well, what does tighten up mean? Well, it means focus. It means stop jogging, man. Pick your pace up. It means we're trying to win. It means this matters. Tighten up. Every game, I'd yell it. With their defenders, guys, most of the time I'd be yelling at them for a few reasons. On my team, it was nothing for them to be on the wrong place. And we're trying to stop people from scoring. So there would be a time where I'm watching this game and my defender who's supposed to be standing here protecting this side of the field, like he's over here. And I'd be like, hey man, tighten up. It was nothing for them to be just fooling around. We had lost like the first four games. We were like the bad news bears of soccer. I'm sure they're avid listeners at home. And there was a moment where we had the lead at the very end. And I go, man, we got to keep this. It's, it's very important that you guys focus. And, and I look at one of my defenders and man, she's just dancing around the place. And I said, Caitlin, tighten up. Or they might just not understand the magnitude of the situation. And I want you all to have fun. But we came to win. I'd rather win than lose. Tighten up, right? The truth is we all need that. Like they need it multiple times during the game. They don't need to be berated. They don't need to be cursed. They don't need to be put to bed early with no dinner because they didn't do their best. But man, we all need moments where we go, focus. Like focus, pick it up. So there's nothing for me to look at my kids. Too late in the game to be like, hey, listen, keep your eye on the ball. If they can't keep their eye on the ball, it's too late. But I will look at my kids and go, hey, man, pick it up. Tighten up. They need it. We need it. You know, as I get older, guys, 
I can really see the need for that message in all of our lives. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you're a staff. I don't care if you're a male, a female, old, young, black or white pastor. We all at multiple times during the game need to hear tighten up. I can see that very obviously as I get older. You know, I was the man of the house at a very young age in my home. And so I was the man of the house. I was a young father also. I was a young husband also. I was young in leadership. I had many staff at a young age. I had many responsibilities. I was very young in ministry. So I used to make this statement that like, hey guys, as I get older, and when I would make that statement, I would look into the crowd and people would always go, oh my gosh, you are 25 years old. What are you talking about as you get older? You're my great, great grandchild. Don't say as you get older. So I started doing this thing where I had to preface it. And as I speak, before I make a point, I would say, hey guys, I know I'm super young. I know I'm a young man, but... Just recently, I was speaking at something, and I did that. I go, guys, hey, listen to me. I was saying something bold, and I said, hey, I know that I'm young. And then after I got done, someone came to my wife and said, hey, um, he's not that young, <laughs> right? Like, there's just as much gray in that beard as it is black. Like, what's he talking about? As like, he gets, He's older than half the people he's speaking to. I noticed it. You know those moments where people go, you know, you know, I blinked my eyes and then the kids were out of the house and I was 70. I didn't see it fly by. Like I am noticing it right now. I'm noticing it. I'm older than half the people in here. And that I, I didn't realize that. I was always the youngest guy around. But no, I'm older than a lot of you. I'm not the young man. And in that, as I get older, I start to think to myself in all of the ways that I want to see the church grow and what I want to be a part of. And that message screams to me that if I'm going to be a part of what I want to see in the end, we got to tighten up. And I see, hang on it, I see the future church. And not in a prophetic way of like, you know, God has given me this vision. I just think that it's obvious. There is going to be a day in our future, hang on my words, that the church is going to cost you something more than your laziness. Like right now, it is just, hey, listen, if you think you can get up on time and you're at 100%, that's what it's costing you. But there's going to be a day where your faith in Christianity and what you profess to be true is going to cost you something much. And are we ready for that? Are we ready to give that? Are we available for that? Are we prepared? Are we tight enough? Are we running at that speed? There's going to be a moment where our faith is unpopular for our children, that all of the older folks in our life, they're going to pass, and all of those old school, rich disciplines are not going to be here. And the future church is going to be filled with a generation who are maxed out in every aspect of their life, worshiping other gods in all areas, and they are going to be our future. Tighten up. 
Tighten up. I want to be surrounded. I want to raise up. I want to teach. I want to see your children and mine be those of one God masters. No one can serve two. No one can serve two. This was the message in Galatians and what Paul preaches to so many of the churches in the New Testament. If he's talking to Timothy, if he's talking to the Ephesians, if he's talking to the Galatians, when he looks at them, he's preaching the gospel. He's talking about the church. He's correcting in ways. There are times that he is speaking about our walks and he is telling them to fight, to focus, to run, right? This is a message for my believers out there that we all need to hear. What, who is first in your life? And how is that swayed? Like, what have you let creep in? How are you worshiping other gods that are hurting you in your life? How do we fight? How do we run? How do we battle in this life? About four or five years ago, I don't know if you remember a sermon, but Brent Dillahunty, who's not with us today, preached a sermon that was titled, Theology Matters. Four or five years ago, Theology Matters. He did a wonderful job of it. I still remember the message. And if you were with us during Galatians, man, I don't know if he preached from Galatians or not, but that would have been a phenomenal book to use because we see what Paul told us, it really is important. What you believe matters, right? So how do we tighten up, church? Hang with me. How do we tighten up? As Jacob read to us, how do we fight the good fight? How do we raise up aliens? How do we stay strong? How do we secure the future church? How do we do this? Well, what Brent said and what Paul says and what we believe believe to be true, we believe and we know and we profess and we lean on the gospel, and what the gospel does in our life will go into us and overflow into everything. So if my brother Corn can root himself in what Jesus has done, that will lead to a greater marriage, greater finances, greater peace, greater career, greater livelihood, greater friendships, greater life, right? Not doing all of these activities. So what's going to lead to tightening up is not you coming to church and you singing songs and you giving money and you going to New York and you serving at VBS. All of those activities, no, it is leaning in the gospel. This is what all of this is connected to, so hang with me. However, all of those things that we do as Christians, those are the things that pull us to the gospel, coming to church, reading your Bible, giving and serving, being on mission. That is what puts you in the playground of the Holy Spirit that has the gospel poured into us. So for that individual who says, I don't have to go to church to know God. I don't have to give money and I don't have to serve. I don't have to come on Wednesday night. I don't have to have a great prayer life. I don't have to pray with my children to know who the Lord is. I would look at you confidently and I would say, yes, you do. Yes, you do. The gospel flows into my life 
every day by my knowledge of him and my love of him and my resting on him, which is directly connected to my disciplines in him. Disciplines matter. Disciplines matter. Your everyday disciplines as a Christian, putting yourself in the arena of the gospel will change your everyday life. Man, if you are a note taker, just write it there on your Bible. Disciplines matter. We have a young church, young marriages, young people. We are doing this for the first time. This is awesome and it's great and it's changing our lives. But the reality is this, for the lot of us in here, we have not been doing this very long. And man, at times we can be spiritually schizophrenic. Oh man, we were on fire and now we dropped off. We're like the stock market. We're the spiritual Bitcoin of the church. Disciplines matter. The disciplines are the playground of the Holy Spirit. I've been putting this message together for about six months. No one can serve two masters. I've been putting this message together for six months. When it happened, when it hit me that I do believe that disciplines matter, but disciplines are not the problem. Disciplines matter, but the key to a lot of our struggle, the key to a lot of our races slowing, a lot of the key to a lot of us not fighting anymore in our faith are not disciplines, but priorities. Most of you are disciplined. Most of you get to work on time. Most of you bring your kids to school on time. We get to the deer stand at 4.30 in the morning on a holiday in the rain. You will take your kid to everywhere on God's creation for a practice. We will lose a job to make sure our kids have. You are absolutely some of the most disciplined people in the universe. The problem is not discipline. The problem is that many of us are worshiping other gods in our life more than we are the God who created us. And misplaced priorities misflow, do not flow the gospel into our life. It poisons us. Hear that. When we are worshiping other gods in your marriage, in your money, in your, in your relationships, in your heart, whatever it is with your time, with your focus, with your gifts, when we are putting other idols ahead of God, what ends up happening, the gospel is not flowing into us, that God is flowing into us and it's poisoning you. He says, no one can do this. I said, really, just one verse. No one can do this. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Truth is, guys, let's get real here for a minute, out of sermon mode. For most of us, there are many gods in our life. There are many gods in our life. And in that reality, there are moments and there are spaces in our life that are faithful and healthy. And there are spaces in our life that are diluted and weak and slow and poisoned. And we need people brave enough and bold enough to stand in that space and beg us 
to tighten up. That poison flows into us. It's poisoned us. When you look at Matthew 6, just kind of take a walk with me here. We're not going to just read, but listen to me. In this sermon, Jesus is talking about our lifestyles. He's talking about our priorities. He's talking about doing good to please God, not just all other people. Charitable deeds. He's talking about giving and he's talking about intimacy. He talks in chapter 6 about the model prayer, the Lord's prayer, our Father who is in heaven. He's talking about alone time with God. Do you have that? Is this the only time during the week that you're going to eat? Spiritually, is this it? 60 minutes, 30 minutes. On a Sunday, is this the only time you're eating? Spiritually. Because Jesus is talking about priorities and like, listen, you gotta make time for alone time with God. We're talking about putting him first, our treasures, our hearts in chapter six, that our eyes, what we are surrounded by, the people that we spend time with, the environment that we choose. Matthew six, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. How many of you, and you know your life. How many of you right now are just trying your best to do so? How many of you are trying your best to do so? And what does Jesus say? He goes, it's impossible to do. David tried it. Solomon tried it. Peter tried it. Paul tried it. Everyone in history has tried it. You cannot balance both. If God is not going to be the God of filling your blank, it's a formula that's not supposed to work. I had a friend call me just, just this week and he was talking about someone. He goes, man, I just, I'm so burdened that they can't just get it together. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? They can't get it together. There's nobody in this room. But you're doing great. I'm so burdened that this guy, just, I just wish he could tighten up. I looked at him, I said, brother, listen to me. As long as God is not first in his life, it's not gonna get better. That's a spiritual mathematical formula that's not supposed to play out. It's not supposed to work. It's poison, it's hurting, it's a formula that's not supposed to match well for you. And in that, hang on it, even the good things, even the blessings, the things of God, which should be first, they're going to become burdens for you. Look at this. Me and Miss Sue were talking about it. Same verse. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. So you know what happens when we put other things ahead of God in the many different areas of our life? Do you know what ends up happening? Not only do we have not peace and not only do we not have rest and security and assurance in all that's supposed to be true in our life, but what ends up happening is we end up, being, we end up despising the things that are good. So when yes, when God is not the God of your money and you have given your money to everything else first, well, guess what is a burden? Giving. 
When you go, hey, I have my money, and here's to my hobbies, and here's to the house, and here's to my car, and here's to my kids, and here's to my vacation, here's to my luxuries, and you just got this little bit left, and you go, man, I, I probably need to give something. I know that this is the responsible thing to do. I know what the Bible says. I feel guilty. Yes, giving's a burden. Have you ever been in a space where the church is a burden? Just being here? I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I have so many things going on. Just 45 minutes singing and being around Christians and hurt Larry learning about God, the creator of all things, an hour a week, man, I don't know if I can do it. It's become a burden. Why? Because I've given my best to everything else. Alone time with God, burden. Discipling my children, burden. Prayer daily, burden. Hear me, God is not the problem. The church is not asking you too much. The Bible is not boring or difficult. Misplaced priorities, other gods are hurting you. That is why you don't like this space. This is why you don't wanna be here. This is why you hate to give. This is why you're too busy to serve because you have given your best to other things. It is poisoning our generation. I want you to think of how this plays out in our life today. Have you ever been annoyed with your spouse by the spouse just wanting to spend time with you? You ever been annoyed that your wife just wants to talk? There are times, my wife, I'm an early person. I wake up at 4.30 happy. I'm not the greatest person at 10 o'clock. And sometimes my wife, she's the greatest at 10 o'clock. And there are moments that we get in bed and she wants to have like the greatest conversation at 10. And I look at her and I'm like, look, man, I've been, I've been doing this all day. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk Jesus. I don't want to pray. I don't want to hear about your day. I don't want to do this right now. You ever felt like that? Am I the only one? No. <laughs> I had a woman say, yep, must. Philip's always talking, right? You ever been annoyed that your kid wants to throw ball? Go play. You know why you're annoyed? You know why you're frustrated? You know why you're burdened? Because you've given your best to everything else. And by the time you get to what really matters, I got nothing left for you. You think your bride's the bad guy? The woman you walk down the aisle, the one who knows you greater than anybody else on this earth? the one who said for sickness and in health, the woman who was there and birthed your children, you think she's the bad guy because she wants to spend time with you? You think your child, your blood, the one who shares your face, you think he's the bad guy because he wants to play catch? You think that's the problem? No. I have given my best to my job. I've given my best to my hobby. I've given my best to my coworkers. I've given my best to my friends. And by the time I get home, I got nothing left for you. And God is the same way. You don't got an hour a week? Like, this is too much? And the future church is going to break you. Like, if you can't do, I'm going to be real with you for a minute. 
If you can't do church in 2021, brother, you better just tap out now. Because 2040 is coming like a whirlwind for you. Like if you can't put some pants and tuck your shirt in in today's time, if you can't give in the midst of abundance, you can't learn the Bible when you are filled with a church who people go, man, let me walk with you. If you can't do it here, are we ready? Do we want to run this race? God is the same way. This race of faith is long and difficult, and it is challenging with one God. Like, I feel it for you. I'm in that boat with you. It is hard. Do you know why, church? Because something is always vying for that top space. Do you hear me? Something is always vying to be first in your marriage. Something is always vying to be first in your parenting. Something is always vying to be first in your money. Something is always going to knock you off the hill. I heard a story one time of Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, and one of the coaches of the greatest coach in you know, sports history, even though, Mike, I'm not a huge fan of him. He's from Boston. And so Belichick was asked a question because he took this franchise in football that um, was known to be just kind of the gutter type team. And if you know anything about the Patriots, I mean, one of the best franchises in history now. And the reporter looked at Bill Belichick and he said, how hard was it to take this team and take it from here and bring it to number one? How hard was that? And he said it wasn't half as hard as staying there. He goes, because every day someone was trying to knock us off. And I, and I saw that and I read that and I just thought about my own life and, and your life and it's the truth. Remember a few messages ago, we talked about how sin and fat is always waiting. Sin and fat was the message title. And it's true. In our race, in our walk, in our faith, in our disciplines, there will always be to the day you die something trying to take the space of God, always. And it will sneak up on you and it will put itself there and go, man, I am more important. And so right now for all of us, there are spaces in your life that you're very strong and there are spaces in your life that are very weak and we need to hear tighten up. Tighten up. Where in your life have you let God fall and you've put things in his space? Please hear me, at some point, hear me, at some point in your life, your young life, we are going to have to make the statement, for me and my family, we are reserving this time to worship. That is what this is for. This is what we do. We are not people who look outside and go, hey, listen, it was raining two days ago. I'm not going today. We can't be those people. That will be the world. At some time in your life, you're going to have to say, listen, this is important to me. I'm going to dedicate time outside of Sunday, outside of Wednesday to be in the word. I need it. 
I have to have it. I'm not wise enough. I am not smart enough. I am not faithful enough. I cannot do this on my own. God calls me to his word. This is the playground of the spirit. I have to dedicate some time to this. I dedicate time to wellness. I dedicate time to family. I dedicate time to spouse. I dedicate time to hobbies. I have to dedicate time to God's word. At some point in your life, you're going to have to say, my giving means that I don't have fill in the blank. My truck, I would love to have a new one. It's the running joke of the church. I don't even have to put gasoline in it. It literally just runs on determination at this point, okay? I really thought I saw, I'm actually not playing. I thought I saw something growing from one of the floor mats. That's where I'm at with this truck. I'd love to have a new one but my giving says that I can't have one. And if you're going to put God first of your money, that means you're not going to have something that you want. It's not complicated. It's not the far reaches of the Old Testament theology. It's simple mathematical spiritual formulas. God calls us to put him first in every single area. And by doing that, there are gonna be moments in your life where you go, man, by me saying yes to this means I'm not going to have this. At some point, you're going to have to say what means the most to you. Is it God or the world? Is it God or the world? And just take a second. Like where in your life right now, it might be all of them. You might go, hey, Hunter, it's every single area of my life. Where in your life would you say, that man, God is not first. And I see the poison. I see the poison that it's flowed into me. Here's the truth. We have so many young people in here. There are aspects of your life that will be, that will be hard and will be poisoned and diluted till the day you die. You will struggle with finances your entire life. And what I mean by that is not that you'll have a hard time paying bills. I'm saying you'll never find peace. I know a lot of people die very wealthy, miserably financially. Because it's never enough. I know people that will be married to the same person or divorced numerous times, no matter what your scenario is, and they will never have peace in their relationship. Why? Not because she was awful, not because he was awful. It's because God wasn't first. In every aspect of your life, the formula is successful when God is first. God is first. Our faith is second. And then we get to see all the things that we hope to see. Assurance and peace and rest. But as we close in, guys, putting God first is scary. There is a trade. It's a sacrifice. And I think as parents, I think as a marriage, when we talk about our finances, whatever it is, there is this fear that, man, if I put God first, I'm going to be missing out on something. I've said yes to God. God is first, but, but now I can't partake in all of these worldly things that seem so tempting. I want you to see these beautiful words in Matthew 6, verse 25. Please follow me. So he says, no one can serve two masters, right? Look at 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Which of you by worrying can add one cubic meter to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God first, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." What I love about those verses, guys, we always read that. And for my stressors and filled with anxiety, my worriers, we always read that and apply it, rightfully so, of, hey, have faith, trust in God. He is going to provide and amen to all of that. But when you see the whole context of what Jesus is saying, Jesus is preaching this sermon about putting God first in all of these scary areas of our life and all of the people are tense and all of these people are questioning and all the people are, man, what if, what if I do all of these things? Like what is gonna happen to my kid? What is gonna happen to my money? What is gonna happen to my life? And what does Jesus say? If I took care of the entire earth, why would I not take care of you? Putting God first is scary, but the Lord says, have faith, trust, do not worry. I will provide everything that's needed. As he mentions Solomon, as we close here, I want you to realize this. Everything in this life is temporary. Everything. I've done too many funerals of the wealthy to see that you're not taking any of these things with you. I was sitting with my kids on Thanksgiving and we were talking about this, this reality and we looked up on Google, who is the richest man on earth? Who has more money than anyone? We looked at this man and we said, listen, there's gonna be a day where this man meets his maker and there is no check to sign. None of it matters. Your career, have fun. Your ball, have fun. Your family, have fun. Your hobbies, have fun, enjoy life. But if you let life in any form or fashion take precedent in your life as number one, it will poison you. Everything here is temporary. God is everything. Jesus is worth it. Tighten up. Tighten up. As we pray, I want you to understand tonight is a wonderful opportunity for you to come back. We are gonna have a Bible study tonight on just practical, applicable disciplines to apply to your life. I am begging you. I know you are tired. I know you have school and work tomorrow. I know you're tired and, and full from Thanksgiving and you live 14 minutes away. I really understand. I will pick you up and walk you here on my back. If you can't get here, call a ride. I am pleading with you to be here. This message was for Christians today.
For those who are already saved, we are going to glory. Jesus has done all the work. The cross is done. We have the Holy Spirit, but we sway. You should rest assured that Jesus Christ has done what he's come to do and he lives within you if you are saved. But saved people can sway. I pray that as I pray here that you ask for forgiveness, that you look at different ways that you have not put God first, that you tighten up those priorities in your life. Be back tonight. Be back tonight. Be back tonight. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I start at the beginning of the line and ask for forgiveness for all the other gods that I've put in your space. I have worshipped ball teams. I have worshipped money. I have worshipped status. I have worshipped possessions. I have worshipped people. I have worshipped kids. I have worshipped rest. I have worshipped selfishness. I have worshipped myself. There have been many gods in my life. All of those gods have poisoned me. They have all poisoned me. I have failed 100% of the time in parenting, in marriage, in money, in thoughts, in love, in life, when I have put anything ahead of you. But it is a long run, and it is a hard race. Lord, help us tighten up. Help us place you first. Help us see in your Sermon on the Mount that it is not possible to please both. We cannot do this. That if we love the world, worldliness is what's going to flow in us. That the gospel of what was accomplished on the cross, that's what we need. We need to be in that arena. We need alone time with you. We need sacrifice to you. We need serving you. We need the church. We need discipleship. We need your playground. We need that to flow into our marriage and to our kids, first and foremost, and then to enjoy everything else. Not worship the things of this world. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Help my church help my church. Lord, I pray right now that we have more people tonight than we had this morning. I pray we grab people off the street we don't know. We're calling moms and neighbors to come. Football can wait. Rest can be tomorrow. Lord, I pray that you bring our people back to learn ways of growing closer to you. In your precious and holy name, and the church says, amen.